This is Digital Pathology Today. Now here's your host, Dr. Joseph Anderson. Welcome to Digital Pathology Today. I'm Joe Anderson. We're talking with Dr. Roberto Salgado, a pathologist based in Belgium with expertise in breast pathology and immune oncology. He is the co-chair of the International Immuno-Oncology Biomarker Working Group. Over the past several years, we've seen large advances and dedication of resources to immune oncology. We've also seen that information extracted by quantifying tumor infiltrating lymphocytes on routine H&E sections adds significant predictive and prognostic information in this area. We've known, however, for over 100 years that the assessment of histologic features, including tumor infiltrating lymphocytes and associated inflammatory responses to tumors, adds powerful information correlated with patient outcomes. Are we poised for a second renaissance in histologic examination with digital pathology as the engine? This episode of Digital Pathology Today has been brought to you in part by JAV Advisors. With over 16 years experience, JAV Advisors focuses on business and management consulting for digital pathology and artificial intelligence in deployment within histology, pathology, and cytology laboratories throughout the world. Call 213-258-6268 for more information. JAV Advisors. Dr. Roberto Salgado, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, We have a lot to talk about, including the important work you've been doing with your International Immune Oncology Biomarker Working Group, uh, quantification of tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, and how can we extract H&E features to add predictive and prognostic information? And really, what is this going to look like utilizing digital pathology? So first, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and your experiences in digital pathology. I'm a pathologist by training, and I did my PhD in, in breast cancer pathology studying coagulation and angiogenesis. By accident, I started to, to get interested in the work of the immune system in breast cancer. The immune cells are relatively easy to, to analyze on an HE. It's one of the slides where pathologists may take diagnosis on of breast cancer. Since you just need an HE, and since every single trial always has HEs of their patients that are included, it was relatively easy to get a lot of trial material to score the TILS on HNEs. And, and over the past five years, we have been working on, on a very large amount of clinical trials, phase one, phase two, phase three, showing that the TILS are, and I summarize, uh, highly prognostic in triponective breast cancer, probably able to identify a subset of patients who are probably overtreated in the triponective setting. And we have also shown that TILS are very predictive for immunotherapy. And this is important for two major reasons. One is because you just need an HNE and you don't need complicated assays like PDL1 assays, which we probably will talk in a minute on this. And second, the TILs are relatively easy morphologically. So it's a tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, it's a small round blue cell. And those small round blue cells, they look the same everywhere, irrespective of the cancer type. We thought that the TILs would be a very good paradigm to validate machine learning tools, not only for a daily practice setting, but most importantly for a clinical trial setting, because that's where the clinical validity should be demonstrated first before it gets into daily practice. That brings up a very, there are several, several very important points. I think immune oncology is, over the last two or three years, a very hot area 
right? We're, we're able to target that pathway to benefit patients. You clearly have an interest in, in breast pathology and predictive and prognostic markers there. And that's what I find incredibly fascinating. And then how are we going to use digital pathology for prognosis and to predict response for therapy and to ultimately benefit patients? And then the other thing was, how can we get as much information out of the H&E as possible. I think it's a, it's a very interesting story in breast cancer, so many people may not be aware. That's really where, not only for targeted therapy, I guess probably the first foray into targeted therapy was in anti-estrogen drugs, and we as pathologists have developed techniques over the years. We've been testing for the estrogen receptors you know, for 40, 50, 60 years, and that's been a, a fantastic story. But then the other story is how can we get prognostic and hopefully predictive information out of the H&E? Doing my homework over the years, I've really gone back to those original papers, you know, that came out in the late 1930s. How do we develop a grading system? There were several uh, candidate systems introduced with various criteria. We ultimately landed on the, the modified Bloom-Richardson, which takes into account various factors, the size and shape of the nuclei, the number of mitoses, and how well it's forming glands. And then, But at the same time, I think in the late 1930s, papers came out that the immune response or the lymphocytic infiltrates associated with tumor had prognostic value. And that was, you know, 70, 80 years ago. It kind of fell by the wayside. And now, thank goodness, we're fortunately able to, to revisit it. Human beings might not do well. Like we might, like you said, we can recognize those, those round blue lymphocytes, but we might not be very good at counting them or comparing how many are in this section versus, versus that section. So I think this is, this is incredibly exciting. So tell us about the International Immuno-Oncology Biomarker Working Group that you've been involved with. All good things in life happen by accident. Uh, meeting your wife, for example, uh, uh, starting a work group like this. It's even older. So the very first paper that was presented publicly on TILS was exactly 100 years ago. It was a pathologist at the Mayo Clinic, Dr. McCarthy, presented at a meeting um, in the US in 1920 for the first time the prognostic value of TILS in breast cancer. This year, it's the 100th anniversary of the TILS. Uh, and this year, the TILS are getting worldwide implemented in a lot of daily practices for the simple reason because you just need an HD. I do think it's always very important to realize where we come from and why do we do certain type of things. So scoring the immune cells, it has always been there. So we are doing nothing new. And pathologists over the past 100 years have always seen those immune cells on the HD. What exists is what we see on an HD site. It's a famous psychology paradigm of Daniel Carnahan. And moving further now to the working group, so five to six years ago, there were several groups studying the immune cell infiltrate at practically the same timing. There were a few US groups working on this. I was working on this with Sherry Loy. Carsten Denkert in Germany was working on the TILS. And we decided at the moment, because the breast cancer community is a very small world, we said, well, let's discuss at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Conference uh, in 2014 the methodological aspects of scoring immune cells in breast cancer. We convened to meet at San Antonio. And by accident, because people started to talk, hey, there will be a small group discussing uh, on how to score immune cells on HMEs. Instead of just five of us, there were 20 people. We discussed for 
one hour how to score the tails and, and, and the pitfalls and how do you do this and, and and then again by accident again we said well why don't we write a guideline on this and and that's where the tails working group started actually one of the things that attracts uh, many pathologists to score the tails is well is you just need an HE. and second in those low to middle income countries like India, Bangladesh, Iran, Colombia, Argentina, all those PDL1 essays, and we can discuss those probably later, they are extremely expensive in those settings. Even for us in the, the so-called developed worlds, these essays are very expensive. That's a key point I think that people overlook, you know, in terms of you know delivering care to patients and figuring out what works and how we can provide the best information. The other consideration is how is this going to be cost effective? And you see that there's, you know, various guidelines. So in breast cancer, we have ASCO and NCCN, but also we have St. Galen guidelines. And when I've personally noticed kind of a different philosophy between the two guidelines, St. Galen's seems to have an emphasis more on what's going to be practical and how can we implement this globally? And I think as you're suggesting, you know, digital pathology and just the H&E works very well in that model, right? It's cheap, it's readily available, it already exists. And how can we get the most information from that? Now, in terms of digital pathology, one of the things, so you, you, you can look at that both ways. You can see the digital pathology tool able to identify tills and all the pitfalls that pathologists encounter when they score the tills using a microscope are exactly the same when you score the tills using a digital tool. The thickness of the slides, the artifacts, fixation artifacts, a bad HE stain, they all affect how the digital pathology scores the tills. And this, they also affect how the pathology scores the tills. And this is something that we have nicely shown in one of our papers. So there is one thing about using a digital tool just to replace the pathologist in the clinical trial, research setting to score as much as deals as possible on as much as trials as possible because it's a relatively easy mark. The second question, and that's where we with the working group we are investing a lot of energy in is what is important in terms of outcome. So it's true, it's true when somebody tells me a digital pathology tool is as is much more accurate than the pathologist, which is true because what we do as pathologists, as we do for every biomarker, we estimate. We estimate intensities, we estimate proportions, we estimate whether this is a mitotic figure or whether it is not a mitotic figure. For this, is exactly the same. So I judge the percentage of immune cells in a cancer, 30%, 35 40%. And a digital pathology tool, can be much more accurate, can much more say you have 7,352 lymphocytes per square millimeter, for example. There's things that the image analysis can do better than human beings, not because they're smarter, but maybe they're just differently, differently suited to doing the tasks. One of our challenges is to control for variability between and among pathologists, and then also People need to keep in mind that what we're doing is an estimation and it's a sampling. So it's very much dependent on which sections of the tumor you just happen to take. There's a lot of modeling and computations that go into developing these models and it's dependent on things such as sampling and estimation. That's correct, but there is one big 
thing that we are investigating, and I will explain the details in a minute about the projects we are doing. Um, because the working group, again, we are a not-for-profit working group. We, are, we, we do not exist officially, we just burn a lot of people, and we are completely ridiculously transparent. So, you know, so anybody who has questions about what we do, just has to, has to send me an email. Okay. <laughs> let's, start with, let's start with me, I want to ask you. So this is the working group. So let me ask you, just what is the spirit of the group? Because I think a couple things come to mind. So first of all, it seems like you've assembled some of the top experts in the world in breast cancer pathology. You're doing important work. So I would think people are going to be very interested in this, particularly developing therapies and companion diagnostics, particularly if you have predictive and prognostic information suggesting who's best going to benefit from treatments. So that's one question, you know, kind of what is your relationship with the pharmaceutical industry going to be and how is that structured? And then secondly, uh, what is the spirit of the group? Is it an evolving thing? Again, completely transparent. So we, we have a lot of industry people in the working group, but it's true that collaboration on deals with one company is easier than with another company. So, for example, and, and they should be commended for it, we have an excellent, well, I have an excellent collaboration with Merck, since they agreed to score the deals in almost all their breast cancer trials, so that we have trial evidence compared to PDL one on prediction for immunotherapy. And, and thanks to this collaboration, we have demonstrated that TILS predict overall survival in a phase three setting when you treat metastatic patients or advanced triple negative breast cancer patients with immunotherapy. What is also very interesting in this notion is that some people within the industry started to get interested in using TILS as a stratifying marker to develop a new generation clinical trials based on immunotherapy. Nowadays, they are just academic groups doing this. There are academic groups developing phase two trials in which they use TILS to stratify patients getting or not getting immunotherapy. We, as a working group, seem to be naively transparent. We communicate to, to industry with psychiatric TILS. We are not there to replace PDL1. So we communicate to industry saying that, and we have published on this, we think that we should score TILS together with PDL1 for the simple, for a very simple, naive reason. PDL1 on immune cells, which is the narrative in breast cancer, the substrate of that are the immune cells. So when you don't have immune cells, you don't have PDL1 because there are no immune cells. It's like asking the pathologist to score estrogen receptor on cancer cells when the pathologist doesn't see cancer cells. Coming to your second question, the spirit of the working group is actually is it's actually very, very, very simple. We group people who want to work and know about, and this can include patients also, about the immune system in breast cancer, just looking through the microscope. What you see is all the research, and it's a ridiculously simple narrative. The patient is our main interest. So we 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 don't have any conflicts of interest with the deals we do. Work we, do. we don't have patents on TILS because TILS is something that you see when you look through a microscope. It's like patenting air. It's everybody who looks through a microscope can see the immune cells. We say when TILS are useful, but we also will say when TILS are not useful so that people don't waste time promoting developing trust using a barcode which is not useful in certain settings. Mm-hmm. 
This episode of Digital Pathology Today has been brought to you in part by DJT Solutions, your single source for all your digital pathology requirements, from consultation services to system requirements, including installation, training, and life cycle support. Since 1995, DJT Solutions, we are your best choice for your best results. I think that's an obvious parallel with Key 67. You know, in this molecular era where the possibility of developing all these fancy tests, I think it's very tempting in theory, and particularly in the developing world, how about a cheap practical tool like Key 67? But it, it never really got off the ground in terms of a predictive marker to say these patients are going to benefit from chemotherapy and these won't, despite the pathway making sense and you know, a lot of data in smaller, lower level of evidence type studies, but it's never been widely accepted. And then I think your point there is that one of the things that hindered it is just a lack of consensus on how to actually score the thing. And so, yeah, so I think that that makes your approach very, very attractive. You published an article, your group in Lancet Oncology, and it was entitled, How Current Assay Approval Policies Are Leading to Unintended Imprecision medicine. That seems pretty caustic, maybe. What did you mean by this? It, it actually started, you know, when, when I was a resident in training 20, 20 years ago, then the first combined diagnostics came up. That was a time where not many pathology labs had molecular diagnostics implemented. You had, didn't have that many targeted agents, not that many mutations to look for. It was just the vast mutation called These were the first ones. And at that time, there was this big struggle on HER2 reproducibility between pathologists, this famous Canadian study, very widely publicized. And probably that was one of the main reasons why you got this combined diagnostic narrative where you used to link a drug to a biomarker. Now, to an essay, actually. Now, over the past 20 years, we started to realize, I started to realize, and many started to realize that the narrative of the clinical trial should be validate a drug in a particular patient population linked to a biomarker, but it has been used so far by parts of industry. And I don't blame them. Again, I don't blame anybody because the system was what it is, was used to validate the essay, not the biomarker. So what happened is that you had, you still have a lot of combined diagnostics who have been approved by FDA linked to a particular drug which the trial were used to validate the essay. I started to become very worried when I started to, to evaluate different TMB essays, you know, 10 to 15 different TMB essays. They all, all performed very excellent. And I started to wonder what determines whether an essay is good for daily practice use and whatnot. And then came the story about PDL1. There was this famous study in breast cancer, and the Impassive 30 study, the landmark study in breast cancer to show that immune checkpoint inhibition in triple breast cancer does work. It prolongs about seven months, which is in that patient, patient population that was a very good thing. Also here you had the same narrative. Trial was used to validate the essay in that particular trial, assuming, and this was the big narrative over the past 20 years, if the trial is positive, then the essay should be implementable worldwide because the trial was positive as a kind of de facto analytical validity of the essay only because the trial was positive. And then many people started to realize that the essay used 
in PDL1 in that particular trial that you could ask legitimate concerns about sensitivity and specificity and, and reversibility between pathologists. Pathologists and diagnosticians were scratching our heads, right? Because there's got to be the PDL1 scoring and the, the assessment of who's going to benefit from therapy is all over the map. These drugs have become, in a sense, blockbusters. There's 17 to 20, as many as 26 separate indications. And, you know, where is the uniformity in scoring? So I think one question is, are we finally going to, and you, you would have thought we would have learned our lessons. We must have been contemporaries. One of the things the first excited me in pathology was when Herceptin came on the market in 1998 or 1999. I was a trainee and that just got me so excited about the, you know, the ability of the pathologist to play a role in personalizing the treatment of the patient. I thought it was just fantastic, but it was messy. You know, we had IHC, we had fish, we have different manufacturers, people developing tests in their own labs, you know, not to mention the approval process and how it was determined that those were the most appropriate companion diagnostics. It was messy, um, but it seems like we haven't really learned too many lessons over the last four, you know, 30, 40 years. Are we going to finally get to a grand unified approach where we have one assay that we can definitively say is best and we have standard scoring systems and so on? And what is the role of the pathologist? Is the pathologist going to get more in the driver's seat here? In that Lancet Oncology paper, we have drafted a set of what we call solutions. And because it's always very easy to criticize situations, but proposing solutions is, is, is always a difficult task. So, But we did it. One of those solutions is that different assays need to be compared to each other before the drug is approved. Now, this sounds ridiculously simple, but is again ridiculously difficult to implement. With the FDA, we will be developing, and we are developing actually, we have submitted the first draft of the manuscript to a journal with a limited set of data just to show the principle that what we want to do is not so easy. Because the first step towards a calibration of tissue pathology tool is what is an lymphocyte and how good are pathologists in annotating the same lymphocyte. And that's the first step. And now we, we have shown with data that this is not so straightforward. And these are just stills. This is just a small one blue cell. Imagine if it would be a mitotic figure. It's not easy. Progress is incremental, but hopefully we're heading in the right direction. So before we wrap up, what excites you and wh where do you see the field going in the next 10 years or so? You know, I'm very excited about the hopes and the prospects that we have to offer in digital pathology, particularly in looking at simple H&E images. So what, what gets you excited? Yes, so I, I always get excited by things which are there which I can't see. It's, it's almost religious. Huh? So we, to give an example, when we as pathologists, we, we see a lot of things, growth patterns, infiltration patterns, the stroma, a lot, a lot of different type of features on an HD. And I do think that we are just scratching the surface of what clinicians actually use. So one of the things I am very interested and in, I'm very involved in is to identify features which we know are there, but which we can't see, which we might be important. An example is fractals. You know fractals when you start to magnify at the, at the low magnification, you find the same structure as with the high magnification. Um, we have shown in a study 
the group of Yin-Yin One, a machine learning group in uh, London at uh, Imperial Cancer Research. We have developed a tool that is able to score the fractal geometry of the cancer cell stromal cell interface. What does this mean? It's very simple. Uh, when a cancer invades a stroma, there is an interface between the stroma and the cancer. So these are things which we as pathologists, we, we see and or we don't see, but we can never, we will never be able to quantify it. But when you apply a fractal tool on the interface between the cancer cells and the stroma, you start to see different features. You start to see a detail which is prognostically important, as we have shown. So things that are not visible to the naked eye, but can only be detectable with digital pathology tools, will probably complement what we as pathologists can see freely, like the amount of lymphocytes. But probably the pattern of lymphocytes can be quantified using this type of fractal geometry, which we as pathologists will be, never be able to do. And that's where I think digital pathology has the added value not to score great as good as pathologists do, but to identify those features that we cannot quantify and help us quantify and hopefully, and that's why we're using the trial data to do this, validate using trial material that this has indeed added prognostic value. Because if it doesn't have prognostic value, why should we do it? It's not to help us do what we can already do, but help us to see things we can't see and get information and add value that we never could before. Our guest has been Dr. Roberto Salgado from the International Immuno-Oncology Biomarker Working Group. We'll see you next time on Digital Pathology Today. This has been Digital Pathology Today. Please be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.